So, aware that the Maskilim had established very close connections with the Tsar's ministers and many of his officials as well, the Tzemach Sedek recognized that the Frum Yidin would only succeed in this battle if they had Achtus, if they got together as one. If you're going to have Hasidim fighting against Misnagdim, you're not going to win against the Maskilim because you're too busy fighting amongst yourselves. And he went with one of his sons and he went to the, area, the, the areas of Mohila, Vilna, Vitebsk, this was all in 1838, to meet and discuss possible strategies with other G'dayli Yisrael, with other leaders of the Yidin. Now by that time already, even the great, I mean, not even, the greatest of the Misnagdim, I mean, even the biggest Misnagdim realized that Okay, the Hasidim are not turning into what we thought they were going to be, and there's no need to make a whole big fight. Meaning, not necessarily did they agree with everything Hasidim were doing, but they realized that there's no need to make, like, you can't do business with them and put them in Khairim anymore. Like, it was over. They realized that their original fears and, and that they had about the Hasidic movement were mistaken, but some of them, deep down, they still questioned how, how much could the Hasidim be learning already? if they're spending three hours a day davening. Now, yeah, they, they said, especially the chassidim, especially the leaders, they all had Yerushimayim, they davened for a long time, but that did not make them, make it that they were as great as learners as the Misnagdim. Now, in addition, they questioned the need to study chassidim's b'chlal. Why can't you just be a good yid who has Yerushimayim, just like all other yidin are without chassidim? So, at one of the above meetings, the host decided he's going to test the Rebbe of Lubavitch. The host was not a chassid. Was, was he as great of a Goyen, a genius, as the people said he was? It's true that, uh, is it true that his greatness is greater than most of the Tamidi Chachamim of the Misnagdim? So the host asked some Rabbanim to arrange different types of cakes and fruits on a tray, and they prepared it in a way that there would be a lot of halacha shilas about which thing to make a bracha on first. And he put the tray directly in front of the tzemach tzedek where he, where he would be sitting. And since some of the halachas were very complicated and in certain circumstances there are different opinions about what brachas should be said bichlal, so his intention was to test the Tzemach Sedek and also to like shock him a little bit. Oy vey, what do I do? Like that. He wanted to see if the Rebbe of Lubavitch would hesitate. Would he have to think about it for five minutes before making a bracha or would he just go straight into it? Now as the other Rabbanim arrived, they respectfully, they, were, they didn't eat any food until the Tzemach Sedek came in and he sat down at the table. Now they themselves were busy trying to figure out what bracha to make on which food. And noticing that everyone's whispering and you know, talking to each other, like, what do we do, what do we think? So the host said, oh, I see all the Rabbanim, they're all stumped over here. There's no way that Tzemach Sadek would know. He said, if, in his head, he's thinking to himself, the host, if these great Rabbanim can't decide which thing to make a bracha on, so how's the Tzadik of Lubavitch going to know? The Tzemach Sadek comes in, everyone's looking at him. What's he going to do? And as soon as he sits down, the Tzemach Sadek noticed that no one else took any food from the tray. And, he's, and he realized that they're not going to eat until he starts eating. So he immediately took something to eat. But to everyone's astonishment, he takes a small piece of cake, he says a bracha, 
And one of the Rabbanim asked him, uh, aren't you supposed to make a bracha on a whole item? That means if you have, let's say, um, a slice of bread versus a roll, you're supposed to make the bracha on the roll because that is a whole thing. The same applies for any, for fruit, for example. You're supposed, if you're eating an apple, really you're supposed to make the bracha eights, then you can cut a piece of the apple off and eat it. But you're not supposed to cut up the apple and then make a bracha because it's better to make on something that's whole. So they asked him, you took a little tiny piece of cake, shouldn't you make on the whole thing and then you cut off a piece? And the Tzimah Sadek said, yeah. If you're going to eat both a part of this and that, then you say on the whole thing. But as I sat down, I noticed that the host didn't put a knife by my place. So I'm assuming he doesn't want me to take from the big cake. So I took from, from, from the piece that's already cut up. Obviously, make a bracha on what you're going to eat and that's it. Similarly, he continues, regarding the question on which of the fruits in front of me I should make the bracha of Bari Priya Eitz, the halacha is, if I don't want to eat one of the fruits, usually the way it works is, if let's say you have one of the shiva minim sitting in front of you, and then you have an apple. Let's say you have grapes and an apple. They're both the same bracha. You're supposed to make a bracha on the grapes. But what if I don't want to eat grapes? So you don't make a bracha on the grapes. So this is what he said. And all the rabbanim there were we began discussing with the Tzemach Tzedek these halachas and additional halachas <coughs> that were related to the, to, 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 in, in general, these are very complicated halachas, by the way, about, about which brachas to make on which foods. And they were astounded at the Tzemach Tzedek's knowledge and wisdom. And everyone recognized that not only is the leader of the Hasidim, uh, uh, that, that he has a lot of years Shemayim, he's also an outstanding genius in halacha, which is, which, and it was much greater than any of them had. Now, as a result of their newfound respect for the Tzemach Tzedek, when the Rabbanim started to discuss how do we fight, fight back against the Maskilim, it wasn't as two movements. It wasn't Hasidim and Nisnagdim against the Maskilim. It was one movement. Shoimrei, Taireu, Mitzvah, Yirei, Alekim, from Yidin against the Haskalah. And they accepted the Tzemach Sadiq's proposals on how they should combat, on how they should fight against the Maskilim. The Rabbanim then respectfully requested that the Tzemach Sadiq should give a, a shear. And when you ask the, the Rebbe of Lubavitch to say a shear, what do you think he's going to do? Chassidus! Right, so, so a few hours later, he said a mimer Chassidus to a large crowd. Now you have to realize that almost every single person in that crowd never heard a single thing in Hasidus before. They were, most of them were misnagdim. So they heard Hasidus for the first time now. They were astounded, especially the Rabbanim, that not only were they able to understand it, they thought, oh, it's going to be so difficult. They were, all, they were able to understand it. But they saw that it, it wasn't a, a new type of Torah, the way they always imagined it. Oh, they're trying to change the Torah. It was just a deeper understanding of the nigla that they learned. It wasn't, they always thought, oh, Hasidus is Kabbalah. Hasidus is not Kabbalah. Hasidus might explain parts of Kabbalah, but that's not what Hasidus is. Hasidus, part of the, Hasidus is, is part of everything. Hasidus is not part of Sayyid. There's Hasidus in Pshat, Hasidus in Drush, Hasidus in Remez, and Hasidus in Sayyid. And as a result of this, these leaders, they stopped questioning what Hasidus accomplished. And with this new respect for Hasidus itself, now they could appreciate the obvious joy and the highest that Hasidus brought to a person's Avedis Hashem. 
they also realized that the reason Hasidim didn't publicize how smart they were is not because they, it's not because of their, because uh, they didn't have knowledge, it's because they were humble. Right? They always thought they just, they, the Hasidim didn't know anything. So just as the Tzemach Sedeq's Hasidis showed that Hasidis and Nigla are two parts of Taita that are just combined as one. It's one Taita. So too did his knowledge of Taita help to unite the Hasidim and Misnagdim as one people. In fact, the, the non-Hasidic Rabbonim, they began to enjoy hearing Hasidis so much that any time they had a meeting with the Tzemach Sedeq, they requested that by the meeting that he should say Hasidis. The Rebbe's son, Harav Yisrael Noyach, he later became the Rebbe in Niezhin. So he accompanied him on the trip. He wrote a letter to his mother informing her of all the events that had taken place. And he also mentioned how pleased he was to witness the tremendous respect that everyone was giving to his father, the Rebbe. When the Tzemach Sedeq got home, he noticed the letter and he cried out in pain. He said, you had enjoyment from this? From, from, that, from all the respect they were giving me? You should know, this is what he tells his son, that from all the cover that was being given to me throughout the whole journey, I felt like my blood was being shed like water. Meaning it, it hurt him so much that he was getting so much respect. But again, it was necessary. That's how humble the Tzemach Sadiq was. Okay, we're now moving on to a huge piece of the battle against the Haskalah, and that is the Conference of 1843. That, is, that itself you could probably write a whole book on. But obviously we're going to go through as much of it as we can over here. Now, we already said many times <clears throat> that the, the Tzemach Sadek had his committee of five Rabbanim. Now besides for that, there was another committee which was called the Vad, the Peterburg Vad. Originally this group was established by the Alter Rebbe. Basically, it was a group of Hasidim headed by the Chassid Rabbi Yisrael Chaikin, who was assisted by other committee members living in Peterburg. And as we're going to explain soon, their mission, unlike the Committee of Five, right? the Committee of Five, their, their mission was to do all these things on behalf of the Rebbe. The Peterburg Vad their job was to find out what the ministers are discussing and see if, they, if it could possibly affect the Jews. And basically, if, I fi if they find out, let's say, that this minister wants to propose this and this plan, is there something we can do to get rid of it? Now, because you couldn't just live in Petterburg, it's not like today where you could, you know, you could live in America, I could live anywhere I want. Back then, if a Yid wanted to live in Petterburg, which was the, at that time, that was the capital of Russia, the, the member, you had to be, uh, you needed a special permit. So the members of this committee, they settled there, obviously not to be uh, work on the VAT, meaning officially. They found jobs that allowed them to get a permit. Some of them were, were business uh, contractors for the government, which gave them special access to ministers, right? Because they were contractors, they had to meet with this minister and that minister. And since they were the ones providing and delivering uh, supplies for the army, provisions for the army, so they were able to tell the Tzemach Sadek also where soldiers were located, you know, things like that. Other Hasidim were told to move there and open up legal businesses. One such Vad member, his name was Reb Chaim Misayev of Shklov. 
And the Tzemach Tzedek instructed him to become a dealer for precious gems. Diamonds, rubies, sapphires, things like that, pearls. And he had a, a, a chush, he had a talent that he was able to find pieces of jewelry that no one else could find. So if a minister came to him and he said, hey, uh, Rabbi Chaim, could you please find me? I'm looking for this type of diamond to fit into this uh, earring for my wife. Could you find it? No one else is able to help me. He somehow would find these things. Now, that makes him a very good friend of a lot of ministers. And he formed a lot of friendships with these guys. And it, this enabled him to learn what was, going, what was going on secretly behind closed doors with the ministers in Petterburg, decisions that were being worked on. And if he heard any information that might affect the Yidin, so he would give it over to one of the members of the Vad, the Rebbe's Vad in Petterburg, who made sure that the information got passed to the Rebbe. Now the Rebbe would then send instructions to the Vad as to what they should do to influence the ministers. Sometimes you could get them to postpone it, push it off for a year or two. Sometimes you could get them to soften it, to make it that it's not such a bad thing. Now understandably, the majority of the Vad's activities, do you think we know about them? Of course not. Everything was top secret which explains why we have no written record of anything that they did. Because everything, there, there probably were no records. There were, they didn't write anything. Because if anyone gets caught with pieces of paper, they get arrested. However, we can see from the amount of Gezeris they were able to push off and change, we could see what effect they had both in the conference of 1843, which is where we're holding now, and we're going to see later there was a second conference in 1848. Now, as mentioned... The Maskilim were actively trying to open their government schools for Jewish children. However, in most cities, towns, and villages, which Yid wants to send their kid to this school? And everybody was against them. Most, when, we say, when we say everybody, we mean like major, uh, a super majority. Almost no one was willing to send their kids to these schools. Now, the Maskilim were angry, right? But if you think the Maskilim were angry, the ministers were even more angry. They were angry at the Maskilim. Because they, they went to the Maskilim and they said, Your men informed us that the majority of the Yidin want their children to receive a better education than what they get in a regular cheder with a Malamid. You told us that. And we entrusted you with the Tsar's desire to weaken Jewish observance by opening these government Jewish schools. But we see there's hardly any kids in these schools. So the Maskilim realized they have to blame somebody for all these problems that no one's joining them. So who are they going to blame? It's all the Tzaddik of Lubavitch's fault. Now, yes, they said, what we said is true. Most Yiddin do want to send to our schools. But the respect and fear that they have for the Rebbe prevented them from going against his wishes. In addition, they said, he was sending messages to every town and little village everywhere, urging the Yidin not to register any child into the new schools. So wanting to further get the government angry against the Rebbe, the Maskilim arranged to have a German newspaper publish an article as if it were the uh, newspaper's editorial making fun of the czars and the ministers. And this, this newspaper article said that 
while it's already a few years since the Tsar made his uh, beautiful mission of educating all the, the dumb Jews of Russia that they should get a proper education and not just in Cheder. But there was a single Jew who has more power and influence than the Tsar. Remember, they're writing this whole article to try to make the Tsar and the ministers angry. They said, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, known as the Tzaddik of Lubavitch, has instructed his followers, close to 75% of Yidin in Russia, not to register their children in the schools that the Tsar's ministers established. In fact, many of these schools don't even have a single student registered. Now, this is what the article said. Now, of course, the Maskilim are going to say that the uh, Rebbe was uh, the leader of 75% of Russian Jews. There's no way he was the leader of 75% of the Yidin in Russia. But they want to make him look worse. They want to make the Tsar look worse in the article. So they say it like this. Now, when the Minister of Culture sees this article, which, of course, the Maskilim made sure that he saw it, he, what, he blew up. He was so angry. He said, we have become the laughing stock of the entire world. We're considered complete failures. The Tsar's honor is at stake. And we have to take whatever necessary measures we can to, to, to make sure the Tsar's wishes get uh, taken care of. Now, after thinking about it for a, for a long time, he and a few of his fellow ministers decided to arrange a special conference. And its agenda would be to set guidelines and regulations about all the aspects of, of Jewish religion and to give it credibility. You want the people to trust what happens by the conference. They would call it the Conference of Rabbis on Religious Affairs. And they would invite, invite meaning force, the most chashive rabbis in the country to participate. However, these rabbis would then be forced to sign whatever documents were drawn up in advance to show their support for the government's decisions. Now, knowing that the Maskilim shared their desire of weakening and destroying uh, the religious observance of the Yidden, so the ministers, they very carefully prepared the topics, the agendas that we were gonna talk about. So the Maskilim worked together with the ministers to, 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 to decide what they're gonna do. Because the, 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 the masculine were the ones who were in charge of making the new school. Now, the preparations for this conference took over a year. This wasn't like, oh, let's get a conference together and we got a conference in five minutes. It took a long time. And although it became public knowledge that the government was considering such a conference, the intention and the purpose of it was kept a very big secret. So no one was informed what questions and topics would be discussed. And therefore, or so they thought, the Rabbanim, who would be invited, would not be able to make a strategy to fight against him. Nevertheless, through the Peterberg Vad that, that the Alter Rebbe set up and, and now the Tzamaq Tzedek was in charge of, um, so the, the Vad, they became very good friends with, there was a, a very Christian religious, very from a Christian uh, nobleman, but he was, he was very from himself, a from Christian, meaning. But he loved all religion, meaning he respected everybody. He wasn't a mean guy. And he went and he told the Vad everything. He said, I want to let you know what's going to happen so you could prepare for it. And they secretly passed the information on to the Rebbe, which of course helped the Rebbe prepare for the conference.
perhaps this is the reason why that Samach Tzedek wrote, he corresponded with a guy named Maximilian Lilienthal, also uh, uh, um, uh, Max, Max Lilienthal. He was the masculine charge of the whole thing. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think Max Lilienthal ended up moving to America after this whole story happened. Why? We'll see, we'll get to it later. Now, he even agreed to meet with Max Lilienthal because, as the saying goes, knowing your enemy is half the victory, right? If you want to win a war against somebody, you want to study them, you want to study how, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are. So he wanted to meet with him. Additionally, Lilienthal, he met with this guy, Max Lilienthal, he met with the Tzemach Tzedek, and he, he left with the impression that the Tzemach Tzedek is a super humble person, that he, he, he doesn't like fighting with anybody. So seeing this, Lilienthal wrote to the ministers that it would be much better for the government and for the Maskilim to have Rabbi Schneerson as one of the religious representatives rather than Rabbi Luri. Rabbi Luri was a very famous Rav in Russia at that time. And he was very, he spoke very much against the Maskilim and the government and all that stuff. So they wanted to get Rabbi Luri originally. But Max Lilithal said, you know what? It's better to get the Tzadik of Lubavitch because he's going to be much easier to push over and we can could, we could make, make him do whatever we want. Now, little did he realize that the soft-spoken rabbi of Lubavitch would not give in to a single thing that he wanted and he's not going to uh, just agree with anything he wants.